0: Well, good morning everybody, good morning. It is John the 6th chapter where my Bible is open and I would invite you to be turning to John chapter 6 in your Bible. You're going to notice one verse down there toward the end of that chapter that will help us get started in our study of God's Word, John the 6th chapter. And as you are finding John chapter 6, let me just say an additional word of welcome to everyone that is gathered here this morning. What a what a fine number we have assembled here today. When you have a, a holiday weekend like this, you show up to the building and you're not sure exactly how many folks you're going to be greeted by. I knew we were going to be having you know, like a, 20 or more of our folks that were going to be traveling and worshiping in other places today, but we're glad to have folks who are traveling uh, through this way and that you're filling in some of those empty spots. You, uh, you uh, honor us with your presence and we are encouraged by you being here as we've Come together today to give honor and glory to Jesus Christ, to worship God, and at the same time to encourage each other in the things that are good and the things that are right. Much to say this morning, and I want to get right to it in John chapter 6. Read here in verse 66, that triple six verse, John 6 verse 66. "After After this, many of Jesus' disciples turned back and no longer walked with Him. I don't know if you have noticed lately, but it just seems like everything these days comes with a warning label attached to it. Have you noticed that? doesn't matter what it is. You go to the store and you buy some product, and there on the outside of the label, there's a sticker and it'll say, caution, don't do this or be mindful of this. Or maybe you open it up and there's a tag inside and it says, warning in big red letters. Or maybe you get in there and there's an instruction booklet on the top of it and you open it up and there at the very top of it it says, you know, danger right across the top of it. And of course, if you ever start reading some of the fine print under those big warning signs, some of those warnings are actually really, really helpful. Have you ever noticed some of those things? For example, what about this one here? Danger! Do not hold the wrong end of a chainsaw. That's that's pretty helpful information, isn't it? Or what about this one as well? What about this practical little tip? This was on a coat hanger. Caution! Do not swallow. Yes. Some people just have to have that spelled out for them. Or here's a label. This was put on one of those sunshades that you put in your windshield of your car. This was a warning that said, Warning! Do not drive with the sunshade up. Yes. Again, very practical, helpful, day-to-day kinds of information. And this is my favorite of all. This was on a package for some iron-on transfers, the kind of things you'd iron on to a t-shirt or something. And it said this down at the bottom. It said, caution, do not iron while wearing the shirt. (laughs) That one cracks me up because you have to know somebody actually tried ironing with their shirt on to necessitate that caution. You know, warning labels like these and other, maybe more really helpful warning labels, they're just everywhere, aren't they? They're all around us today. Yet I'm going to tell you this morning that we need some warning labels put up in the one place they're not. Sometimes I think we need warning labels on the front doors of the church building. How many times have you talked to somebody about the Lord's church? Maybe somebody that you worked with or maybe a next-door neighbor. And you were just, as you talked about that, you were just overwhelmingly, glowingly positive about the church and the things that you said. You just said, oh, oh the church is great. The church that I'm a member of, it's just amazing. It's wonderful. You just really got to come and be with me at where I go to church. Yet we've all known people who have come to church with us. They've come to Lakeside. Maybe even we were the ones who invited them to come. And they heard the gospel. Maybe they were pricked by that. They wanted to act upon it. They obeyed the gospel. Or maybe they came here and they placed membership with us here. But then after a while, after a while, they're not here anymore. They're gone. They're somewhere else. They've completely just faded away. What's, what's the deal with that? Well, part of the problem may just be what we read in John 6 and in verse 66. John 6.66 tells us that even Jesus in his day and time had defectors. Jesus had people who were followers of him, but, but then left. John 6.66 shows us that sometimes people give up on the Lord, and it's not the Lord's fault. And just like Jesus, we cannot be held responsible for those who do not want to meet the stringent requirements of discipleship. Those who only have kind of superficial interest in the kingdom of God. But having said that, sometimes, sometimes people leave the Lord and we do bear some of the responsibility for that. And I think that happens whenever we are guilty of overselling the church Instead of focusing and centering people on Jesus. Think about it. Have you ever had one of these conversations before where you said, "Oh, you just you've got to come to church with me sometime." We've just just got so many great people there. So many wonderful and loving people. You just love to meet these people. And your kids, oh, they'd love coming here. They'd love being a part of our Bible class. Our Bible class teachers just do so many things to try to help our kids know the Word of God. We've got great singing. The singing is just so uplifting and so encouraging. We've got a young and exciting preacher. And he's got red hair. And he wears bright colored ties. And he's got all kinds of zipping energy or you know maybe even talked about how like you know you know one time i was sick and i was in the hospital and man, the people from church they just really took care of me well they just called me and were sending text messages and cards and bringing food to the house and just all these things. it's such a loving congregation that i'm a part of people care for one another there always watching out for each other's welfare not just physically but spiritually as well you know i've just grown so much from being a part of this congregation it's wonderful And at the end of all of that, at the end of all of that, my fear is that sometimes we may be winning people to lakeside instead of winning people to Jesus. They come in the door and they're all hyped up based on all the things that we've told them, all of these maybe assumptions that they've got, maybe even some unrealistic expectations about what the church is going to be like. Everything gets pinned on lakeside instead of everything being pinned On Jesus Christ. Why are we then surprised when some folks end up being disappointed? And at the end of all of that disappointment, they end up quitting. They end up leaving and going the other way. This morning, I want to share with you three warning labels that I really do think maybe ought to be placed on the front doors of the church building that really might send some messages to folks to be thinking about some things before they ever even step foot in here. And then after I issue those three warning labels, I want to point all of us to the one where we really need to be putting the emphasis on. I want to talk to you about the remedy for church anity, and that is Jesus the Christ. Are you ready for that? Let's start that in Matthew the 28th chapter. Read with me there at the end of Matthew 28, the end of Matthew's gospel. Let's grab that great commission that Jesus gave to His apostles. In Matthew chapter 28, this is verse 18. In Matthew 28 and verse 18, Jesus came and He said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to Me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Warning label number one, right out of this text, we ought to just warn folks up front that sometimes when you come in here, sometimes you're going to encounter difficult people. What are we always telling people? We're always saying, "All oh, those people at church, my brothers and sisters, they're just the best people in the world. And generally speaking, I think that's absolutely true. But what we don't tell people is that if you come to church, you are going to encounter weird People. You may even encounter some people who are very, very different from you, personality-wise, sense of humor-wise. You may even encounter some people who are just downright annoying. We don't tell people. We're not quick to tell people those sorts of things. But you know what? We ought to tell people all of that. Because what does Matthew 28 verse 19 say? Jesus says, make disciples of all nations. Who can be a Christian? Everybody can be a Christian. There's no caveat there about make disciples of all people except for the ones who are really socially awkward. Don't bother with them. Jesus does not say, don't baptize people who are maybe rude or people who are not really interested in your story because they always interrupt and want to tell their own story. No, nothing in the Bible about that. Nothing in the Bible that says that, you know, if somebody is kind of an obnoxious person, they have an obnoxious personality, that somehow they're excluded from the invitation of Jesus Christ. No, no. In fact, sometimes it is those very people who need the gospel the very most. And as God does a great work within their lives, transforming them by His grace and by His power and through His Word and through His people, shaping them into what He wants them to be. But the truth of the matter is, not everybody is done being shaped. None of us are done being shaped. Which means that if you come to church you're going to encounter some of those difficult people. Some of those imperfect people. And I want you to know, that's not just true here at Lakeside. That's true of every congregation. In fact, that has always been true of every congregation. Look with me in the epistle of 3 John. In 3 John, if you had gone to this particular congregation that John was writing to, you would have met a man by the name of Diotrephes. And I'll just tell you, I'm not sure. I don't want to went to church where Diotrephes went to church. In 3 John, look in verse 9. I have written something to the church, but Diotrephes, who likes to put himself first, does not acknowledge our authority. So if I come, I'll bring up what he's doing, talking wicked nonsense against us and not content with that. He refuses to welcome the brothers, and he also stops those who want to and puts them out of the church. Boy, That would have been a difficult person to put up with in that church. And what I'm saying to you is I'm saying to you that churches today, in that respect, are really no different than the churches that we read about in New Testament times. Churches have always been filled with people. People who can be difficult. People who can be disagreeable. People who do harbor bad attitudes. People who do disappoint us. People who maybe just flat out annoy us. Maybe we should think about that Maybe we should think about that a little bit more. Maybe think about that on a personal level. You know, aren't you glad that the church accepts difficult and imperfect people? Because if it didn't, I know that I couldn't be a member. Could you? That means, of course, whenever I'm ranting and railing inwardly about brother so-and-so or sister so-and-so, then what I really need to be reminded of is that somebody else is probably ranting inwardly or maybe even outwardly about me. And so it is true that if you come to Lakeside, you're going to meet some of the best people in the whole world. But it is also true that you will meet some people who don't have it all together yet, who are not done being shaped by God. And so maybe we do need to put a big warning label out on the door. Maybe they're in a big, big orange kinds of letters to where everybody can see it. Look out! Imperfect people meet here. And maybe right beside that warning label, maybe we ought to put another warning label. Maybe we ought to put a warning label that says something about change. Change within the church. Because I'll tell you that the church that you see today isn't always going to be just like it is right now. Can I explain to you what I mean by that? When folks come to Lakeside, and maybe even despite some of the difficult people that they may encounter, maybe they still like it. Maybe they even love it here, even despite all those difficult people. When they're baptized into Christ, or maybe when they move here and they place membership with us here, what do they like? i tell you what they like. They like this. They like the way things are right now. I mean, this right here, right now, at this present moment, this is it. The order of the services, all the young families with their children, the color of the pews matching the, you know, matching the drape back there. I mean, they like all of this stuff exactly as it is right now. But of course, it's not always going to be exactly like it is right now, is it? congregations, they change. Things change. It's not always going to be exactly the way it is in this present moment. And I want you to please notice that I am not saying if or maybe that will happen. What I'm saying is that warning needs to read, things will change. Because that just always happens. Can I show you that in the Bible? Look with me in the book of Acts. In Acts, we have the record of the early church. In Acts chapter 2, let's just go to the beginning. In Acts 2, this is the first church. This is the Jerusalem church. And I want us to just watch as it undergoes some changes. In Acts chapter 2, when the gospel is first preached. In Acts chapter 2, look at verse 41. So those who received His word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. Boy, that's getting the church started off with a bang, isn't it? That's impressive. But you know what? It didn't stay just like that. Look at the very next couple of chapters, chapter 4. In chapter 4, look in verse 4. In chapter 4, verse 4, But many of those who heard the word believed, and the number of the men came to about 5,000. Well, you know, you have to believe somebody came to the apostles on that day and said, you know, this church is just getting too big. You know, I miss the days when we were just that little bitty church of just 3,000 people. You know somebody came along and said that. And of course, whenever you get all of those kinds of people, what's going to happen next? Well, there's bound to be some problems going to happen. And that is exactly what happens next. Look in chapter 6. In chapter 6 and in verse 1, Now, in these days when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. Problems came. In fact, when you continue reading on into the 8th chapter, We're told that some big problems came. Acts 8 and verse 1 says that a great persecution arose against the church at that time. People then had to scatter, had to leave Jerusalem, had to go to completely other places. You keep reading on in Acts and eventually you'll get to chapter 11 where a huge change takes place in the church. In Acts chapter 11, the floodgates of salvation are opened up now to the Gentiles. Salvation isn't just for Jews. Acts chapter 11 verse 18 when they heard these things, they fell silent, and they glorified God, saying, Then to the Gentiles also God has granted repentance that leads to life." Now in all of this, I want you to notice what did not change. The gospel message did not change. The commitment to honor Jesus Christ as Lord and as head of His church, that did not change. Those things never change. The pattern of worship. The organization and the work of the church, that must not change. That cannot change. Those things are set in stone. They can never be adjusted or tweaked or adapted to whatever the present circumstances are. But you know, as a church grows, and as a church has problems and storms, and as persecution comes to a church, as new converts are brought into the family of God, what that means is that means that a church is always going to be changing. And that happened in Acts. And that will continue happening even today. People are always going to be coming and going. Their job causes them to move away and then other people move in. Or the devil. The devil's always at work, isn't he? He's always trying to stir things up, to stir up strife and conflict and difficulty amongst God's people. And of course, there's always as well going to be new innovations in technology and things of that sort that's going to help us to do things in a more expedient way to carry out the commands of God. And I'm saying that Lakeside... Like said, there's no exception to all of that. In just the three short years that we've been, almost three years that we've been here, I have seen so many changes take place within this congregation. And you know what? If we're allowed to be here for another three years, another three years, after that, I expect that's going to continue happening. In fact, in some ways we have to learn how to flex and to adapt and to, to change in those ways while remaining true to the principles and the teachings of the New Testament. You know, Think about it. Ten years ago, Ten years ago, would any of us have even had a clue of what a podcast is? Or how that would even be a valuable tool in spreading the gospel? Yet it's such a valuable tool and we make good use of that tool. Or ten years ago, could any of us have imagined a man standing up in front of the congregation and reading something from the Bible from his phone? That's just hard to imagine. Could we have imagined 10 years ago, 15 years ago, singing, doing the act of singing that we did a few moments ago from the PowerPoint slides? You see, those are the kinds of changes that occur in the life of a congregation. There's always things that are changing. And of course, whenever you couple truth number two with truth number one, that means that means there's always going to be people who don't like change. There's always going to be people who are going to speak up and say, "Whoa, oh, we've never done it that way before. Or, you know, I'm not really comfortable with all these new people coming in here. In fact, I'm actually, I'm personally dreading the day when we have to expand and build onto the church building because I know somebody's going to come along and they're going to say, you know what, I liked it much better when we were down at the small rented place on the other end of town. Somebody's going to say that. People, generally speaking, by and large, people don't like change. And so maybe we do need a big sticker on the door that says, WARNING! This is a dynamic environment. Things will change. Which would lead me then to this third warning label. And that is, I think we need to just warn folks that you know what? Some days, some days when you come in here, you're just not going to like church very much. Look with me in Ephesians, the fifth chapter. I'm going to make a comparison between the church and marriage. And I want you to see that that is a fair comparison to make because it is an inspired apostle who first made that comparison. In Ephesians chapter 5, read with me beginning in verse 22. In Ephesians 5 and in verse 22, Paul talking here about the church, he's going to use the marriage metaphor. He says, "...Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior." In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. That marriage idea, that is the comparison that Paul is making to the church. And what I want us to see from that is we make some parallels with that, is that the commitment that we make in marriage, that requires us to love our spouse even when things aren't going that well. Isn't that right? Isn't that what the Bible teaches? That even when there is some storms and some turbulence and some tough times, we're going to continue to love and to honor our spouse. And I know that that's sometimes hard to do. heard a story one time about a couple who had, had gotten to a big argument, to a big fight one night. And the next morning, the wife, she was getting her husband's lunch all ready and she decided to get a piece of paper and write a note. And on that note, she wrote, Dear John, I hate you. Love, Sally. She put that in his, <laughs> put that in his bag. And I think that all of our married folks, we can relate to that because we know that that is reality. That marriage is not just a non-stop honeymoon all the time. That it has its ups and it also has its downs. And hopefully by the grace and the help of God, hopefully there's going to be more ups and there's going to be downs. But of course when two people live together, they're together 24 hours a day, 7 days a week. And they have different habits and different ideas and they're you know, just different people all together. They have different idiosyncrasies, different senses of humor. Sometimes, sometimes there's going to be a little bit of friction. And of course, whenever there's enough friction, eventually sparks are going to fly. And what I'm saying to you is that it's really not any different in the church. You know, we've already talked about difficult people in the church, but you know what? It's even more than just difficult people. Some days, for example, some days you're going to come to worship and the song leader is going to lead the five songs that you just absolutely cannot stand in the songbook. Think it, we've got nearly 900 songs in our hymnals and that guy picked the five songs that I just don't like. What's the chances of that? And then the guy that leads the prayer, maybe he gets up and he, he mumbles a little bit or we can't even hear him. And at the end of that, we don't even know whether to say amen or to you know, say, what say? What would you say? And maybe the comments that are made at the Lord's table, maybe they're just scattered and all over the place and didn't really help us to focus on Jesus and get our minds centered upon the cross and the preaching. Oh, don't get me started on the preaching. That guy went way too long. Or maybe even worse, maybe you just flat out disagreed with what the preacher was saying. And then at the end of the service, just to make matters just all the better, to kind of put a big punctuation mark on it all, the song leader gets up and he leads the sixth song that I just absolutely cannot stand. And at the end of all of that, by the end of that day, we're ready to just run off and go join a, a hairy Krishna cult. And you know what? That just, it just happens sometimes. I'd love to stand up here and tell you that that's never, ever, ever going to happen here at Lakeside. That every sermon is just going to be crafted exactly to your needs and to your circumstances. That you're always going to get to teach the Bible class that you want and that the kids in that class are always just going to be perfect little angels for you. I'd love to tell you that every song that we sing is going to be your favorite hymn. Or that every prayer that is offered is going to be about exactly the things that are on your heart at that right moment. But if I told you all of that, if I told you all of that, you'd know that I was just a liar. Because it's not always going to be that way. And that of course just, that of course just really freaks some people out. Some people, if they have maybe just a couple of bad experiences at church, they have a couple you know things like that that happen in a couple of days like that, bam, they're out of here. They're not going to deal with that anymore. And maybe they don't go off and join the Harry Krishna cult, but maybe instead, maybe they, maybe they start shopping for a new congregation. There's always folks who are just kind of constantly cycling around. They're always looking for that perfect congregation. Always checking to see if they can find a place where that kind of stuff never, ever happens remember a wise old preacher, he once told me, if you ever find the perfect church, don't go there. You'll ruin it. And I think he was right. That's absolutely true. Because there's no such thing as a perfect congregation. And all this idea of looking around to try and find perfection, it's just foolishness. Sometimes maybe what we need to just frankly admit is, we need to look within ourselves, and we need to just honestly say, you know what? Maybe the reason the worship wasn't very good today was because I wasn't a very good worshiper. Maybe I was half asleep during the service. Or maybe I wasn't really making melody in my heart as I let those words come out of my mouth. Maybe I didn't get a lot out of that today because I didn't put a lot into it. Maybe the reason I didn't get much out of that guy's sermon was because I was convicted by the Word of God. You know what? I don't like being convicted by the Word of God, having my toes stepped on. Or you know what? Maybe the reason folks at church weren't friendly to me today was because, was because I wasn't friendly to them. And you know what? Even on your best day, even when you really are trying to worship, even when you truly are serving God wholeheartedly, even when you are really being friendly to everybody else, there's still going to be days where maybe the singing is just flat. Maybe the Bible class was dull and didn't get anything out of that. Or maybe brother so-and-so or sister so-and-so, they didn't shake your hand and they didn't ask you how you were doing today. It's not always going to go exactly the way that you wanted it to go. There are going to be days you just feel like you don't like it here. So maybe we ought to post a warning sign out front to let people know, hey, there might be some occasions where you're just not going to be all that happy. Now, right about now, somebody's maybe thinking in all of this, wow, I don't think I ever want to come to church again. I don't want any part of that. And you know what? I'm sure not ever going to invite anybody to church if that's the way that it truly is. Well, I hope that that is not the net result of talking about these ideas. The truth of the matter is, I can speak on behalf of this congregation. I do believe that Lakeside is a wonderful church. I think there's so many good things that can be said about this congregation. But I do hope that those three warning labels, I hope they help us to maybe curb just how much we're pushing Lakeside in people's minds. Because in the end, folks, Lakeside is not the answer. Lakeside is not the answer to people who are trying to find God, people who are trying to serve God, people who are trying to go to heaven. Who's the answer to that? Jesus is the answer to that. I didn't even ask Paul to lead the songs that he led this morning, but they were so appropriate. All the songs that Paul led were about Jesus. Jesus saved. That's who it's all about. And that, my friends, that is what we need to be emphasizing. We need to emphasize Jesus. That's who we need to be speaking of. What does Jesus say in John 14 and in verse 6? Famous verse. Jesus says, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. I want to just say it again. We must emphasize Jesus. Nowhere in the New Testament does it say the church. The church is the way. The church is the truth. The church is the life. No, no, no. Jesus never says that. None of the other inspired writers say anything like that. Now, let me just say right here, does that mean that Jesus did not appreciate the church? Does that mean that Jesus did not value the church? Oh, oh, I doubt that very highly. Nobody appreciated and valued the church more than the one who shed His blood in order to purchase it. And I do need to say that, because I know that there are people in this world who have the mindset, you know, give me Jesus, I'm all about Jesus, I just don't want that church stuff. Well, you know what, despite people's best efforts to separate those two things, you can't have Christ without also having the Bride of Christ. But I want to say very clearly to us this morning that the church isn't the main thing. Jesus is the main thing. And what this sermon is designed to do for us today is to help us keep the main thing, the main thing. I need to do that on a personal level, first of all. I need to be making sure that I am a follower of Christ, not a follower of some congregation. And then I also need to be doing that on a practical level as I talk with people, as I talk with those who are lost, those who are in sin, those who are erring from the faith. When I'm doing that in evangelism, I need to talk to people about their relationship to to Christ. That's where the emphasis needs to be placed. Can I maybe break that out for you very quickly to see exactly how all that works? The fact that, first of all, that Jesus is the way. You know, whenever somebody maybe comes to you in the workplace, or maybe a next-door neighbor, or just somebody close to you, and they start asking you questions about about religion, about Christianity, and they eventually come to the question, hey, where do you go to church at? We people ask those kinds of questions. What are they doing? i tell you what they're doing. They are looking for the way. Even though people today, they want to put on a big facade, They want to kind of act like they've they've just got it all together in their lives. That their lives are just super swell. Folks, the truth is, people are broken. People are very broken today. People's marriages are a mess. Their kids aren't doing the right thing. They've got maybe instability in their job or maybe in their finances, which means they've got worries and stress and guilt and their concerns. And even though they may not just come out and say it with their words and say, Hey, I'm lost. I'm going to hell. They know. They know. And they're looking. They're looking for the way. And when we're having those conversations with people, the answer in that conversation is not to say, Well, you know what? We sure have a nice, comfortable church building that we assemble in. You ought to come down and see us sometime. That's not the answer. That's not the solution. I will say to you, the church certainly can help you on the way. But the church isn't the way. Jesus is the way. And then what about the second leg of that? What about the truth? The church is not the truth. If I told you, if I stood up here and I said that Christians never lie, that would just be another lie that a Christian has told. Christians do lie. In fact, religious people lie so much that the Bible actually has a very special word for that. It's called hypocrisy. And so there's no way, thinking about the church, the church is the people, there's no way the church can be the truth at best. And this is what we're striving to be. The church can uphold the truth. First Timothy 3.15 talks about that. That's what we are to be. The pillar and support of the truth, Holding forth the Word of God as we teach and proclaim the truth. But the embodiment of the truth. Who is the personification of the truth. That's Jesus. Jesus is the truth. Jesus, unlike us... Jesus will never lie to you. Jesus will tell you the truth when you want to hear it. Jesus will tell you the truth even when you don't want to hear it. If you make the mistake of investing yourself in human beings, even good human beings, good Christian people, preachers, elders, leaders, Bible class teachers, I will tell you, you are sure to be let down in the end. You will become disillusioned. Your faith will be shattered and destroyed because human beings are fallible. That cannot be said of Jesus. And you know what? If you do that long enough, putting all your faith and all your trust in human beings, eventually eventually you will realize that you have put your trust in someone who lied to you. People are not the truth. Jesus is the truth. And it is Jesus, of course, thirdly, who is the life. I think it was back in the early 80s when that expression was first coined, get a life. life. People still use that phrase sometimes today. Get alive! It's a phrase that is used to describe somebody who maybe is spending an inordinate amount of time and their energy chasing after trivial things, pointless things, meaningless things. And so the idea is, you need to get alive. You need to invest yourself in something that really matters, something that's really substantive. And you know what? That's pretty good advice today, because we see so many people in our world around us who are working a hundred and thousand miles per hour. And they're playing at 200,000 miles per hour. And they're going and they're buying stuff. And they're going here and they're doing this and they're seeing that. And they've got jam-packed schedules. And they're doing all these things. And they're really important people in the eyes of the world and in the eyes of the community. And despite what our world says about those people, those people have anything but life. And could I add here that just because you start coming to church and you start squeezing yourself around a bunch of religious activities into your schedule, that alone does not give you life either. Somebody may have been asked, well, Joshua, well, what does give life? Ah, that's the wrong question. The right question is, who? Who gives life? You still have your Bibles open? Look in John 10. In John 10, one of my favorite verses in all of the Word of God, Jesus says that there are people... There are those, particularly the devil, who's going to try to ruin your life. But notice what he says in John 10 and in verse 10. The thief comes only to steal and to kill and to destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Only Jesus gives the abundant life. Only Jesus can give eternal life. Not the church. Church doesn't give that. The Bible says that salvation is in Him. It's not in having your name in a church directory. That's not where salvation comes from. And furthermore, Jesus is the only one who can make this life good and full and rich and meaningful and with purpose and with you know direction. Now, is part of that going to be a relationship with brothers and sisters in Christ? Absolutely Absolutely, that is a wonderful fringe benefit of the abundant life. But can I ask you, can you have this relationship with brothers and sisters in Christ if you're not first related to Christ? Can you have that relationship with brothers and sisters in Christ if you're not walking in Christ? Never. Not at all. That relationship, the church relationship, it'll never be there. The vertical relationship needs to be set in stone first before this horizontal relationship works. Trying to find life in church, when you're not truly connected to Jesus, that's kind of like expecting prize-winning tomatoes to grow on the vine because you watered it and you fertilized it, but, but you didn't actually put it into the ground so that it could get roots. What we've got to do is we've got to get connected to Jesus. Jesus is the giver of life. It's not the church that does that. Don't confuse connection with other Christians with the vital, most important of all connections, a connection to Jesus Christ. Jesus, He is the life. Now I should say, I probably am not okay with putting all those warning labels out on the front door that I put up on the board a little bit earlier. I'm not sure that everybody out in the world, that they would quite that they would quite get it, what that is all about, putting all this stuff out there about warning difficult people. I know somebody would probably go and they'd put my picture right next to it, and that would be really, really awkward. But I do hope this morning, I hope that we've all been made to think a little bit about what the church is and about what the church is not. And even more so, I hope that in our conversations with others, with those who are lost, those who are erring. And especially I hope within our own hearts and in our own minds and in our own lives that we will be putting the emphasis where it belongs. The emphasis must be placed on Jesus. Now does that mean we're never ever going to say anything about the local church, never say anything about Lakeside? Oh, I believe there's a place. I believe that everything that we're trying to do here, it is designed to point people to the way, and to the truth, and to the life. And so we do want to talk about that. And we do want to invite people to come. And we do want to speak positively about the Bride of Christ. But as we're doing that, let's be making sure, let's make double, triple, quadruple sure that the emphasis is always on Jesus, not on us. And so we now extend the invitation of Jesus. This is not the invitation of the Lakeside Church of Christ. This is not the invitation of some you know, human being. This is the invitation of Jesus the Christ, the Son of the living God. He died on the cross of Calvary for your sins, so that you might have the opportunity to be forgiven of your sins, and live with Him eternally. To have a right relationship with God. The question is, have you made that connection? Have you made that connection to Jesus through replicating what Jesus did. We talk about the death and the burial and the resurrection of Jesus. You have the opportunity right now, if you've never done so, to do that very same thing. To die to sin. To be buried with Christ in baptism. And then to walk, risen anew, to walk in newness of life. If there somebody here this morning who's never taken those steps, if there is and you're ready to do that, right now is a perfect opportunity. It's a wonderful opportunity for you to be in a covenant relationship with the Lord. If there's somebody here this morning who is a child of God, but you've not been living right, brother or sister, you need to know that you hurt us when you do wrong and when you live in such a way that brings shame and reproach, not just simply on the church, but more importantly, brings shame and reproach to Jesus the Christ. You need to fix that. You need to come back in humility and in repentance. Pray to God for forgiveness. If we can pray with you and encourage you in some way, then this is your opportunity to do just that as well. If there's anybody who's subject to the invitation of Jesus the Christ, would you come forward and make those wishes known? Do that right now while we stand and while we sing.